All right. Good evening, Lake Church. Lakers. Lakers. It's good to see everybody. We're glad that you're here. It's a midweek fill-up. Um, boy, I got some announcements for you. This is a list, so we got to listen, okay? So the first thing is um, the USBs for the whole year of 2023. They're on sale right now in the bookstore for $39.99. Um, that's a fancy way of saying 40 bucks. So two 20s. Just get you a USB for all last year, and you'll be hooked up. I was trying to remember some of the series that weren't real fresh and recent, and uh, a few I came up with. You guys remember Cross-Eyed, Hear and Be Healed? Yeah, that's good. Uh, See That No Man Deceives You, that one was a good one. And then, of course, Ephesians was before um, Galatians, which is what we're doing right now. All that on one USB, you can get it for $39.99. Yeah. Um, the book launch for Cross-Eyed, which is Pastor Kevin and Pastor Greg's book, that date has been moved. It is now February 11th, which is the kickoff day for uh, Times of Manifestation. Yeah, and so you can come early that night. Service starts at 7, but you can come early at 6. You can ask questions. You can get your book signed. All the, the whole nine yards, you can get all that done. And then that morning after service, Sam Hagar's book is having his book signing, and you can do the same thing with him, and it's going to be available. You guys can get all that done. Um, and so that was February 11th, uh, which leads me right into the next one, Times of Manifestations. Yeah, with, with uh, Mr. Kevin, or Prophet Kevin, let me, let me say that, uh, uh, Kevin Powers. That's good. That's coming up February 11th through the 14th, which is a Sunday through a Wednesday, Every night at 7, it's just a believer's meeting with, uh, you know, the gifts of the Spirit um, are just in operation. And I, and I was thinking about that, and we emphasize, like, that's emphasized that week, but I, I really believe it's because we just come expecting the gifts of the Spirit to move. And I feel like that's supposed to be, like, all the time. And so uh, I think it's really uh, what we come expecting. And so I was thinking about that in regards to... Tonight, I mean, we should come expecting the same tonight. You know what I mean? Amen? Okay. You kind of with me? Uh, Wonder Woman's Conference for the ladies. Yeah, the Lake Church ladies. That's uh, March 7th and 8th at 7 p.m. for the the ladies. Uh, It's just going to be empowering time to celebrate Jesus. Uh, You guys can be here. Uh, $10 a person. And if you want a shirt, it's going to be a $20 extra charge. Uh, but those have to be in by February 19th for the t-shirt order. So you guys can get all that figured out. And last but not least is the Disclosure Conference, which is coming up uh, April 25th through the 27th. I'm excited for that. Uh, you guys remember that series? Yeah, a little bit. Well, it's pretty much just like well, kind of what Pastor's been talking about a little lately too, but just the crazy crap that goes on in the world. And he's just kind of just unraveling it. I think I can say that. Uh, I did. So (laughs) Uh, he's just breaking it down, man. He's just breaking it down. The strange stuff that we're, I mean, we just look at it and say, what has happened? The Bible talks about it, prophesied it years and years ago, and he just kind of opens it up for us. And so it's a good time. That's the 25th through the 27th, and that's $50 a person. You can register online for that one as well. Okay. I just want to give you guys an opportunity to give. Um, 
Vision 2025 is still open all through 2024. <laughs> and that's pretty much just the church, um, the head of the church getting a word saying that we're going to be debt free. And so we're going to be debt free and we're going to move on to bigger and better things. Amen. And so you guys can give through all the ways that we have. There's, you can see all that up on the screen right there. And if you want to give money or a check, there's going to be a bucket in the back. Amen. Amen. I'm going to pray us out. Father, we just thank you. Lord, I just thank you for your goodness. I thank you for your grace and your mercy, Father, that that's how we relate to you. That's how we'll always relate to you. Lord, I thank you for your goodness. I thank you for your love. I thank you for Jesus and the blood that he shed on the cross, Father. I thank you that we would have ears to hear and eyes to see tonight, that we would just come expecting with expectation that you'll exceed every single one of them. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Good evening, Lake Church. All right, so real quick, a couple of preliminaries before we jump in the Word. I want to remind you once again, we do have these question cards. So at the end of our verse-by-verse Bible studies now, something new we're instituting is that you'll have the opportunity to put your questions on these cards, turn them into the ushers, in the last night of our teaching on any book study, we're going to do a Q&A. So, you know, most of the time in the corporate setting, we're just preaching and no one has an opportunity to ask questions. And one thing I've, I've learned and experienced is that preaching oftentimes creates more questions than it does give answers. And that's what it should do. It should cause you to question things, to go and, and to study and to discover for yourself we're going to give you an opportunity at the end of these to ask questions, so be sure, fill these out, drop them in the uh, bucket, because next week is the last week. That's the week we're going to do the questions. So I'm saying that by faith, no matter what happens. <clears throat> if I have to read the last several verses and just say that's the end, that's what we're going to do. <laughs> so be sure and do that because the week after next is times of manifestation. So we won't be doing this again, and we'll be starting something new the week after that. So go ahead and do that. That way we can have some good stuff to discuss at the end of this. And then also just want to remind you, these Praise the Lord cards are on the backs of your seats there. They're there for you to fill out any praise reports that you have, any experiences of healing, deliverance, revelation uh, that you uh, encounter when you're here. We want to know about it so that we can share that with the rest of the body. And um, so we don't, we're not necessarily going to hear about it unless you let us know. So these are there. Be sure and communicate that. Don't be scared. We're not going to make you get up here and share. Although it would be great if you want to. We're going to give you that opportunity. But we won't make you get up in front of everybody and share it. Um, We just want to know so that the rest of the body can hear and be edified. Knowing that God is moving among his people. Amen. All right. So we're going to get into uh, Galatians. We're going to do chapter 6. I know we got into several verses last week. And we are going to endeavor to go further, Uh, but I am going to start with verse 1. And uh, chapter 6 is basically the application of the doctrinal truths that Paul's been laying out in the first five chapters of this book. Now, this is always the way Paul taught. He taught revelation, spiritual realities in the first halves of his book, 
And then he taught application, how to apply those truths to your life. So that's what this is. It's the, really the practical application of how to serve one another through love, because that's the point. That's what he says in Galatians 5.13. Don't let your liberty be an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Well, what does that look like? So that's what he does in chapter 6. He begins to give us some, some just practical ways that we're able to do that. And so in verse 1, he tells us, Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual... Restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. So one way that we practically express love and serve one another through love is when a brother or a sister falls into sin, God forbid, that, that was <laughs> Christians do still sin. So whenever someone falls into sin... Uh, how do we respond to that? Well, what would love do? Does love look down on or does love lift up? Yeah, so love would lift up a fallen brother rather than look down on a fallen brother. But legalistic uh, circles tend to look down on others because legalism causes you to operate in comparison, competition, and criticism. But love causes you to edify other people. So when we see a brother who's fallen, he says, you who are spiritual. What does that mean? In chapter 5, he told us that to walk by the Spirit is to manifest the nature and the character of God. So the fruit of the Spirit is the nature and the character of God manifested through our life. Love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Those are the nine fruit of the Holy Spirit. Uh, that's God's intent, is that we come to a place of maturity to where those are the defining characteristics of our life. Because God wants His people to operate in power, but the power of God is to be governed by the nature and the character of God. See, the gifts of the Spirit are given, and even immature people can operate in the gifts of the Spirit, uh, and not cr accurately represent God in that. God wants us to operate in His nature in the administration of His power. So we're not just walking around prophesying and, you know, doing all that kind of stuff. Because you can do that out of the flesh as a way of drawing attention to yourself. And the motivation for any gift of the Spirit is love. It has to be purely love for that, uh, that person. If not, we are going to um, misrepresent God in the administration of his power. In fact, when I was studying 1 Corinthians, you know, the Apostle Paul talks about spiritual things in uh, chapter 12 and chapter 14. And uh, the thing I noticed is that he wasn't teaching about the gifts of the Spirit to introduce them to the gifts of the Spirit. He was doing it to put a limit on it because they were uh, carnal believers and they were using the gifts of the Spirit as a way to draw attention to themselves. So he said, there's a, way too much of this going on. So let's just let two or three of you at the most prophesy and we'll call that good, okay? So he wasn't trying to get them operating in the gifts. He was trying to limit it 
and redirect it toward love, which is why 1 Corinthians 13 is the love chapter. Sandwiched right in between 12 and 14, he says, let me show you a more excellent way. See, if you operate in the love and the nature of the nature and character of God, it will cause you to operate in the gifts in a way that is beneficial and, and edifies the body, but also uh, benefits you. Because in 1 Corinthians 13, he says, if I speak with the tongues of men and angels, if I have faith to move mountains, I know all mysteries, I can prophesy, I can do all these things, and I don't have love, it profits me nothing. See, you can have all those things and not have love attached to it or as the motivation. It's not going to profit you anything. And so, those of you who are spiritual means those of you who have matured to the place where you're operating in the nature and the character of God or the fruit of the Spirit. Then you'll be able to deal with the fallen brother in a spirit of gentleness, not harshness, not, I can't believe you did that. (laughs) Shouldn't be a surprise because, listen, every believer comes into the family of God as a babe in Christ. And we all have to go from a babe to an adolescent to a full-grown believer. There's a process of maturity. And in any life of any person, as they go on into maturity, there's going to be falling along the way. You know, but when your child is, when your little child is learning to walk and they fall, you don't chastise them when they fall. What do you do? You pick them up, do it again, you know. (laughs) And that's the way we have to do with other believers because we're not to operate in condemnation, but in restoration. We're not to look down on a fallen brother, but we're to lift up a fallen brother. We're not, to, we're not to operate in harshness, but in gentleness. Speaking the truth in love, may we may grow up into him who is the head, even Christ. So in the case of the sinning brother, um, we are to restore them. And this word restore, it means to put a bone that's out of joint back in its place. See, condemnation means to be declared unfit for use. And how many believers fall and have experienced uh, condemnation from the church to where they never feel fit for use again? See, if we operate in a spirit of gentleness and we bring that person into restoration, then we actually uh, take the dislocated bone and put it back in its place so that it can function once again as God intended it to. See, that's what restoration is. Put them back in their place. Not, you've fallen, we're going to lift you up a little ways, but not all the way back where you were. No, we want to get that person functioning back the way they were, the way God intended them to, when he declared the things about their life from before the foundation of the world. The church is a hospital. It's a place where people are broken but they find wholeness. You know? Uh, I know Sunday, Pastor Karen mentioned the prodigal son. You know, there are two brothers in that story. 
the one brother uh, was the brother that stayed at home. He's the brother that Jesus was actually addressing in the story. He was talking to the Pharisees. And uh, the older brother was representative of the Pharisees who didn't like seeing someone come back and be restored to everything because they felt like they're getting something for nothing that they've worked for the whole time. You see what I'm saying? And uh, we need to pray because I believe in this hour, in this next season, we're going to see a lot of prodigals come home. And the church, when prodigals come home, we need to pray that they run into the father before they run into the older brother. (laughs) Because what did the father do? He put the robe of righteousness on him. He put the ring of authority on his hands. He put the shoes on his feet. He killed the fatted calf. He threw a celebration. Because he came back. And that's the way that we should be if if we're truly spiritual then that's the way we will be. We'll be about the restoration of other people because love, which is the love of God, the agape love, is about um, seeking the highest good for every person all the time. Mm. Seeking the highest good of every person all the time. No matter what. No matter what they're going through. And one of the keys to this is he says at the last, considering yourself. Oh man, that's a key. That's one way that you're able to operate correctly toward a fallen believer, fallen brother, is consider yourself. Lest you also be tempted. Because the Bible says that you should be careful when you think you're standing lest you fall. We all are still living in this flesh. And uh, given the right circumstances, any of us could fall. Right? So when you consider yourself, then you're able to be a sympathetic brother to the person who's fallen. Which is being like Jesus. You know, last week I mentioned Hebrews chapter 2. And it talks about how Jesus became flesh and blood. So the awesome thing to think about is God became a man so he could experience life as we experience it. Now Jesus didn't have the sin nature, so he never sinned. But he was tempted in all ways as we are, yet without sin. And Hebrews chapter 2 says that he, because he was tempted in all ways as we are, he can be a sympathetic high priest toward us. Because he knows the feelings of our infirmity. I tell you what, Jesus understands the weakness of this flesh way more than we give him credit for. He knows what we have against us. I mean, we're redeemed. We have the power of God. Greater is he that's in us than he that is in the world. And we have that which overcomes the world, which is even our faith. But still yet... The flesh lusts against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And we have to bring this flesh into subjection. And Jesus has to deliver us in the midst of this present evil age. So, you know, none of us have arrived. But we're pressing on toward the mark 
for the prize. You know, the Apostle Paul in Philippians 3, it always amazes me. He says that he had not yet apprehended. Do you realize in Philippians that was the end of his ministry? I dare say if the Apostle Paul hadn't apprehended yet, (laughs) we should think about ourselves. If the Apostle Paul had not apprehended that for which he was apprehended by Christ, then we all have some work to do. You know, none of us have arrived. Praise God we've left, but none of us have arrived. So we should consider ourselves, and when we do, then we realize that we, uh, in our flesh, are just as weak as anybody else. The Apostle Paul said, I know that there is no good thing in me that is in my flesh. Now, I know there's something great in me that is in my spirit. <laughs> but in my flesh, there is nothing good in me. The only good thing is Christ. So that helps us to be able to uh, serve the fallen brother in love and restoration. Because a lot of th- men, this church is a church of restoration. I'll just tell you that. I've seen it over and over again. We go the extra mile with people. That's our heart. To see the last lost and the least brought back to God. Those who have never known him and those who have known and fallen. We want to see restoration in people's lives. But guys, that's not everywhere. That's not everywhere. You know, there are portions of the body of Christ that disqualify people for certain falling. Okay? That is not the Father's heart. His heart is a restoration of the fallen brother. It's been said before, the church is the only um, organization that kills their wounded. (laughs) And that has happened, you know. But we want to be a house of restoration. He says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the love of uh, the law of Christ. So this word for burdens means sufferings. This isn't the same as sinning. This is a brother who's suffering. How do we deal with that? Because the suffering he's talking about is there are circumstances and there are things that come into your life as a believer that are too big for you to bear alone. Praise God, we are the body of Christ and members in particular. None of us are in this alone. We have a family. We are the family. We are the body of Christ. He's the head in heaven, but we're the body on the earth. And sometimes, listen, just because you become a believer doesn't mean everything's going to be a bed of roses and an easy walk. No, the enemy, when you accept Christ, then the target's on your back. Before you accept Christ, you're walking with the devil. You know, as Van Halen said, you're running with the devil. Well, he's, you know, he's just going along with you. But when you decide to turn and follow Christ, now you're going against. And you have a target on your back. And circumstances and sufferings come into the life of the believer many times, not always because of the devil, which we're going to find out. Sometimes it's just because of our dumb decisions. (laughs) But but I digress. (laughs) I was talking about suffering. But there are some burdens that are too big for us to bear alone. And, you know, he goes on and says that this is how we fulfill the law. Because we've been talking about that we aren't justified in the sight of God 
by keeping the law of Moses. Okay? The law of Christ is love. So he's basically, you know, given a jab to the law keepers. You want to keep the law, here's how you do it. Not by keeping every jot and tittle, not by observing every feast day and new moon and festival and all of those things, but by loving one another as you love yourself. If you do that, you'll fulfill the law. Because love does no harm to his brother. So he says, uh, fulfill the law of Christ. He says, for if anyone thinks himself to be something when he's nothing, he deceives himself. In other words, if we think we're too important to roll up our sleeves and get involved in the life of someone else who's suffering, we're deceiving ourselves. None of us are that important. We are one member of a body. And when one member suffers, all suffer. But when one member is blessed, we're all blessed by that. Okay? So he's just uh, continuing to just lay this out in a real practical way to show us this is how love acts in the community of the believer. And you know, I shared last week from uh, chapter 5, verse 13 through chapter 6, and I believe verse 4 or 5, he uses the phrase one another six times. So anytime Paul is teaching practical application of truth, he's always relating it to the way we interact with other people. In fact, the phrase for one another is in the New Testament 100 times which is a very significant number. The number 100 is the number for wholeness. So when we learn to operate in unity and in love to one another, we are able to partake of the wholeness in our life that we can't get on our own. We're deficient by design. Do you realize that? That in the body, we are deficient by design? God left out of me things he put in Barney. So I would need Barney to be able to fully become who I was intended to be. And he left things out of Barney that he put in me. Oh, see, because it doesn't, it creates an interdependent spirit. It causes me to recognize the value of what God has placed on the inside of someone else, which causes me to value the assembly of the saints and coming together as the body of Christ because I can never be all that God designed me to be on my own. You know, one of the fallacies of church in the modern day is, you know, this, I can be a Christian and not go to church. Now listen, I will say this. You can be justified and not go to church. Because you are justified by faith without works. But you'll never be all you were created to be as a Christian on your own. Never. Never be. You know, I remember I was pastoring in Drumright for several years and I was just bumping up against a limit. I mean, we, it was, we would see enough, you know, results to just keep us going, you know. 
But uh, when you're pastoring, man, you have a heart and a vision to see a, a growing and a thriving church. And not that we look at numbers, because men count the saints, but God weighs the saints. <laughs> men count the saints, but God weighs the heart. That's really what matters. But as a pastor, you know, you want to see that you're growing, because that represents health. And I just kept bumping up against this, you know, limit. We'd see growth, and then it would fall back, and we'd see growth, you know, and and there is, a, there is a, an amount of that. And there were things in the natural that were wrong. But, you know, I started praying about that. And one day I was reading in Ephesians chapter 4. And it says, you know, when he ascended on high, he gave gifts to men. Some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, some teachers. For the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. And uh, I was reading that, and the Lord spoke to me. He said, Which, what are you on this list? I said, well, I'm a pastor and a teacher. And he goes, well, where are the other three? I said, well, they're not here. <laughs> I said, well, you know, I'm looking, around, I'm looking around the congregation. I'm like, well, if they are, they haven't been revealed, so I don't see them here. And I started praying, Lord, I want all the gifts of of the ministry gifts in my life because I want to grow and be everything you created me to be. Um, and so after a couple of years, and here's the interesting thing. Here's what you got to know. The enemy hears the prayer. He's going to send some people. Oh, might be, might be these people. You got to... <laughs> Usually it takes longer to get to what God is bringing than it does what the devil, he's... Real quick, here, let's, let's rest these people in here. So anyway, you know, I'm thinking, uh, you know, I had lots of chances to connect with different people. And then, uh, you know, a couple of years into this process of seeking the Lord, then pastor, somebody brought Pastor Greg over to our church one night. And I knew instantly, it was just like, this is the person I'm supposed to be connected to, you know. And uh, through that process, I ended up here. And um, my purpose for telling this is that I could never, I could never grow into who I was supposed to be as long as I was separated from who I was supposed to be connected to. And it's the same for all of us. You don't decide what you are in the body. You discover it. You know, it's not like, it's not like looking at a college catalog Boy, that looks pretty neat. I think I'd like to be one of those. Well, what all courses do I need to take? Yeah. I had somebody ask me a couple months ago. They messaged me. They said, is pastoring a good career choice? I said, no. <laughs> no. No. I said, it's a calling. I said, if you're not called to be one, I promise you that's the last thing you want to try to do. <laughs> it will destroy you. <laughs> it will destroy you. In fact, you know, trying to be something you're not, that's one of the things that was, is one of the greatest revelations is not finding out what you are, but finding out what you are not leads you into finding out what it is that you are. Okay? So the good thing is, is that we're put into a body to where maybe we're the one with the burden that's too big to bear. Well, we have brothers and sisters to come alongside of us and help us carry that load. And that's what love would do. Love would make itself available. 
Listen, I'll just tell you this. It's never going to be convenient. It'll never be comfortable. To come along and try and help somebody else carry a load that's too big for them to bear. It's never going to come at a comfortable, it's never going to come at a convenient time. And it's never going to be comfortable. I tell you what, I've walked into rooms where I was as uncomfortable as I could get. Because you're going to walk into situations with people who are suffering and hurting. And that's never comfortable. But God is, man, you'll experience his grace in a way you couldn't in any other way. Okay, so verse 4, you know, that we talked about this last week. This is love in regard to our own service. So he, he says, but let each one examine his own work, and then he will have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another, for each one shall bear his own load. Doesn't it kind of seem like it's contradictory? Because a minute ago he said, we're to bear each other's burdens. Now he says you have to bear your own load. Well, this is a different word. It's talking about a load that is for you. It's your own personal burden or load. And what he's talking about here is that our own work of service um, is ours alone and nobody else can help us with that. Our serving in the body of Christ is um, what we will be judged for at the judgment seat of Christ. And when you're judged before Christ, no one else is going to be standing there with you. So husband and wife won't be standing there and their work's being judged together. No, it's each individual person. So we all have an individual accounting unto God. So we should examine our own work in regard to how we interact with the body. Because that will be tested at the judgment seat of Christ. And if you want to hear more about that, you go to last week's teaching because I don't have time to go into it. <laughs> but it, our works, I will say this, have to be revealed with fire because they're not apparent to the naked eye. Two people can do the exact same action. One be gold, silver, and precious stones. The other be wood, hay, and stubble. And what determines the difference is the motivation and where it's coming from. Because you can serve God out of the flesh or you can serve God out of the spirit. Anything that comes out of the flesh is not going to be gold, silver, and precious stones. Only what comes out of the Spirit, empowered by God's grace and faith in our life, will endure unto eternity. But the awesome thing is what endures is going to be given back to you as a reward. The judgment seat of Christ is not a judgment of your sins. It's not a judgment of you. It's a judgment of your works. Because your sins were already judged in Christ. Hallelujah. hallelujah. You missed a good place to say hallelujah. <laughs> Our sins were judged in Christ. And it's not us being judged because when you accepted Jesus, you were judged, justified, and righteous, and made a new creation and born of God, born of His Spirit, born from above. <laughs> but our work, what we produce in life after that, will endure fire. And uh, I will say this, all of us will have wood, hay, and stubble. 
And hopefully, we'll all have some gold, silver, and precious stones. But that's not guaranteed. Because it says some people will be saved as through fire. That means they didn't have anything that made it through. Hallelujah. So that's why it's important that we mature and grow up in love so that we're able to produce some true riches, okay, that will make it through the fire. So he's telling them, examine your work. You need to be, because listen, you got to continue to think context. He's talking about legalism. Remember, the law is not a faith. So if you're doing things legalistically, that's wood, hay, and stubble. If you're doing it out of duty and obligation and fear, those things are wood, hay, and stubble. Just get ready, you're going to have a bonfire. <laughs> no, only what comes from the pure motive of love and faith is going to make it through into eternity. Let, let me say it like this, because the next verse, he says, let him who is taught the word, sharing all good things with him who teaches. You know, this is a real good example. Two people can give money to the church for different reasons. Mm. You know, God forbid, I hate to say it, but some people have given money to the church as a way of uh, trying to get some sort of influence. Yeah, And then some people, they give money to the church just purely out of love and they want to be a blessing, okay? Now, this may be both believers. So you got one, they could even give the same amount of money, okay? <laughs> and one be giving it for one reason and it be wood, hay, and stubble. The other be giving it for another reason. It's gold, silver, and precious stones. What determines it? It's the condition of our heart. It's where is it coming from? And so when he talks about this, he's talking about a brother sharing. Because giving is sharing. And he's exhorting them to give to the one who teaches. Now this always makes me nervous talking about the giving of money because I'm a minister. (laughs) And so uh, it's not, uh, we never exhort you to give for our benefit. God's always taking care of me. Always will. Listen, I've been homeless on the streets before. So everything that's come into my life since is just a blessing. I am so thankful and so grateful for it. But God takes care of me regardless. But one of the ways he does is through other people. Giving to the one who teaches is really sharing. And the Greek word is koinonia, which means Joint participation. So get this. When you give as a way of sharing, you're, you're actually accessing something. Now don't, get, don't take this wrong. Don't have, have a legalistic mindset. But you're not buying something. You're not earning something. You're entering into a system of sharing and participating in a system. So this is God's system. When you are entering into this system by giving, you're actually participating in a different economic system. Oh, man. 
Man, you participate in the economic system of this world, and boy, it's, you never know. But when you give into the work of the kingdom of God, and you do it from the right heart, there's no way you're going to lose. There's no way, because God is faithful. Even when we're faithless, He is faithful. He's true to His word. He always does what He says He's going to do. You can depend on Him. He's not a man that He should lie. He doesn't change. He can't fail. His system can never fail. (laughs) It's sure. Jesus said, man, if you even give a cup of cold water in my name, you shall never lose your reward. He keeps good books. (laughs) See, in giving, if you have the right understanding, it's never giving to get. It's giving because you've been given. That's where you got to get. The tithe, when you think about the tithe, it's, what is the tithe? It's you give 10% of your increase. That means you got first. Come on. <laughs> and when I learned, I, because you can have a, a legalistic idea about tithing. I grew up with one. I thought tithing was, you know, um, relating to... Uh, <laughs> It was more like relating to the Godfather than God the Father. You know, you're paying money for protection. You know, you know that's what you do with the mafia. You know, you, you pay these guys off and they protect you from other gangs coming in and robbing and beating you up and stuff. I thought that's what a tithe was. Oh, I gotta pay my, I gotta pay my protection money so that the devil can't come get me. <laughs> that's not what it is at all you know I finally learned God already blessed me I'm recognizing my source when I give because he gives to us first even the tithe comes to you first in increase then you take a portion and you worship God with it by recognizing that it came from him to begin with You say, well, I worked for that money. Well, God gave you the health, the ability, and the opportunity. (laughs) Well, 2 Corinthians 9 says he gives seed to the sower and bread to the eater. He provides ahead of time. So this is a system whereby we are able to interact with the kingdom of God through love and faith. In money. You know, um, Paul put it like this. If we receive spiritual things, which is worth way more than natural things, doesn't it make sense that we would also share natural things? Like, you know. So, um, it's just a response. And that's what legalism does, is it makes you think that you... That God, here's, it makes us think God responds to us. He said, well, doesn't he? Actually, no. God moves first. We respond to what he's done. In fact, you know, people have this idea that we're waiting on God. And I'm ready for God to move. I'll just tell you now, God already moved. He moved from heaven to earth and back to heaven again. 
That'll hit you here in a minute. <laughs> he already moved. He's not the one that needs to move. In fact, he's not the one that's stuck. We are. Come on. We're the ones that need to move. You know, I mean, hear stuff like people say, well, faith moves God. Faith don't move God. Faith moves you. Faith moves you in position to receive what he's already given by his grace through Jesus. See, we've been all messed up, man. Religion has warped our minds. You know, I already shared with you that when we try to receive from God by earning, you know, anything that we earn doesn't come to us as grace. It comes to us as a wage. That's what it says in Romans 4. Which means when we try to do stuff to get God to respond to us, we're trying to put God in debt to us. And I tell you, what, I remember when he said that to me, I thought, wow. He said, when people try to earn favor from me, they're trying to put me in debt to them. Thinking that I'm going to have to do something on their behalf because of what they've done. Man, think about that. It's a subtle difference. But one is legalism, one is grace and faith. What is grace? Grace is what God has done for us through Christ, independent of us. What is faith? A response to what he's done. That is the system of receiving from God. Grace and faith. And even faith is is a gift. We don't produce faith. How does faith come? By And hearing the word of God. So even faith comes to us as a gift. I can't. mm, (laughs) I'm faithing it. (laughs) I'm going to faith it till I make it. (laughs) Where do we get some of this stuff? (laughs) You know what? Faith happens to you. When you hear the word and you believe it. Faith comes. Oh, man. That should free you up. I believe that's liberating somebody. You're trying so hard to have faith. Well, here's what you do. Just get in the Word. Faith will come. And you know what? Hearing the Word, you say, well, you guys are only here two days a week. You can hear you speak God's Word seven days a week. And in fact, your voice has more sway over you than my voice does. Hmm. Plus, I'm a hick from Manford. I guess probably a lot of you are too, so. (laughs) But Paul always, when he taught giving, it was always for the good of the giver. It was never for him. Look at this in Philippians 4. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. That was always his, the way he looked at it. Look at this. But I say this, 2 Corinthians 9, 6. He who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. He who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Verse 10. Now may he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food supply and multiply the seed you have sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness. So it was always about, when Paul taught giving, it was always about the fruit that came back to the giver. Because, and here's what's going to lead into the next verses. It was anytime you're giving with the right heart, you're sowing seed. 
That's what he says in verse 7. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. So sowing and reaping is God's system of justice. You know, a lot of times we're like, where's justice? Justice is there, but there's a system that is operating in the earth. God's system of justice is sowing and reaping. Not karma. That's the world system. Karma is hoping someone's going to get what they deserve. That's not of God. Sowing and reaping is uh, a matter of stewardship, responsibility, uh, taking responsibility for our life, in that by faith we interact with God's system. Because faith, uh, sowing and reaping is a law, okay? What I mean by that is a law is something that's consistent everywhere all the time, like gravity. There are certain laws God has put into the world, and they work all the time no matter where you're at. So, you know, today here in Manford, Oklahoma, gravity's holding me to the floor. If I go to China, it's still going to be the same thing. See what I'm saying? A law is consistent. And here's the thing about laws uh, that God has set in the, in the world. You can either cooperate with them or you violate them. When you cooperate, there's a blessing. When you violate, there's a non-blessing. Okay? So what he's getting ready to teach is that there is a law that we interact with. See, I remember before I even started teaching this, I was studying this section. And uh, he goes on in the next verse. He says, For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. Now, that everlasting life is not talking about in heaven. It's talking about not a quantity of life. Because a lot of people see eternal life, everlasting life. They think, oh, it means I'm going to live forever. Everybody's going to live forever. This is talking about a quality of life that Jesus said, whoever hears him and believes has this type of life. Okay? So our experience of the life of God is dependent on the seeds we sow. And here's the deal that people who don't really understand this system is they blame God and they blame the devil. And I was thinking about this before I ever started teaching this. I wonder how much of what we call an attack of the enemy is just a harvest on bad seeds we've sown to the flesh. Mmm. I'm sorry, I'm, gonna, I'm saying that in love as I punch you in the gut. Because <laughs> I got the punch first. <laughs> but you know, it's easy to put the blame on the devil. But here's the thing, Christian. You need to understand. <laughs> the devil was defeated and disarmed at the cross. Colossians chapter 1 says, He has delivered us from the authority of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the Son of His love. So the devil cannot do anything in your life 
without your cooperation. He's defeated in the life of the believer. He's been disarmed. He's been defeated. (laughs) I wish I had your little doll. Bob's got a little devil doll. The arms and the legs come off of it. He's been defeated and disarmed. (laughs) It's a good illustration. (laughs) But what I'm, the reason I'm saying that is because we have to realize that we're really in control. Because then, even on the other side of it, you know, God's not in control of your every choice. If He was, then he'd be making you act a lot different. <laughs> I tell you what, I'm full of myself tonight. I don't know what they put in my coffee, but <laughs> this gentle Kevin. <laughs> they slipped an extra shot in my coffee. <laughs> no. We have control because God has put a system. It's how we cooperate with or violate his system. It's in our control. See, he has made us kings and priests in the earth. Priests means we have access to God. Kings mean we have authority on earth. God in his sovereignty. Because here's the thing. People will say, well, God's sovereign. He can do whatever he wants. You're right. God is sovereign and he can do anything he wants. And in his sovereignty... When he created man, he gave man dominion on the earth. (laughs) Adam's fall wasn't a fall from heaven. It was a fall from dominion. His ability to fulfill his purpose for which he was created. Because he was disconnected from the source of life and power, which is God. But Jesus redeemed us back to our rightful place in the kingdom of God. Back to our rightful authority in the kingdom of God over the enemy and over all of the works of darkness. Now we can have authority over him. We don't have to fall to his deceptions. We don't have to fall to his temptations. Why? We have the Spirit of God on the inside of us and the Word of God, which is how we overcome the devil through our faith. Jesus showed us this. In the temptations of Christ, when the devil came, what did Jesus do? Oh, come on. put him. No. <laughs> no, he said, it is written. He used his authority. And the power of God backs up the authority of his word. And so we can sow to the flesh and reap corruption. And it's not God doing it to us. And it's not the devil getting over on us. Now we give the devil authority by doing that stuff. But actually we should put the blame where it belongs. Okay. But really... What he's teaching and what I'll show you is that he's really teaching the positive side. He does show you the negative side. But he's actually saying we can sow to the Spirit and reap eternal life. Because he says, let us not grow weary while doing good. For in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. See, a lot of the times though, believers, we wait till we're in a jam. Then we start trying to sow. Come on now. It's kind of like, that would be like a farmer. 
if uh, harvest time's October, uh, <laughs> wait until September to sow seed. Mm, you're behind. Mm, no, but if we're sowing to the Spirit constantly, we can actually be constantly reaping a harvest on seeds we've sown. Right? See, this is walking by the Spirit. Okay? Let me show you this. In Genesis chapter 8, I don't have it in here, but in Genesis 1, you know, he told Adam, I've given you every herb-bearing seed. So God, in the beginning, uh, began his system, and it's a system of seed, time, and harvest. Because God is not creating any more trees. He's not creating any more cows. He began it in the beginning, and it's self-perpetuating system based on seeds. Well, after the flood, when Noah came out of the ark, God reiterated this law. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, winter and summer, all uh, day and night shall not cease. This system is going to function this way until the end of this age, until the end of the ages. When God burns this earth up and brings about a new one, new heaven and new earth. This is the system. It's the system. And I know you're looking at that and you're going, well, that's natural. But every natural law has a spiritual parent. Because everything natural came out of the spirit. So we know spiritual things by looking at how natural laws work. In fact, Jesus taught this. And because of time, I'm not going to go to all the scriptures. But Jesus taught that the kingdom of God is as if a man casts seed into the ground. And he goes to sleep and rises in the morning, day and night. He continues to do this. And the seed sprouts and grows up and produces. And he doesn't even know how it works. This is the way the kingdom of God works. Seed, time, and harvest. Okay? So you can either sow to the flesh or you can sow to the spirit. Well, what are seeds in regard to this? Well, actions are seeds, but I'll say this every action is the fruit of a thought. So, how do we change our actions? Just by willpower? No, not by willpower, by the Word of God. The Word of God is the good seed. How do we sow to the Spirit? We sow the Word of God. Jesus said in the parable of the sower that the seed is the Word and the soil is our heart. Listen, if you want to change your actions, you don't just do it by, I know I need to be doing this and not doing this, so I'm just going to will it. That's not how you do it. We are transformed by the renewing of our mind with the Word of God. We sow the good seed of God's Word into our heart. And by the process of seed, time, and harvest, we begin to see things change. See, because it's not, uh, it's not just actions. Look at this. Let me share a couple more scriptures with you just to show you this. In Luke 6.37, which 6.38 has been used for offering so much. You know, we, we say it real, you know, pressed down, shaking together, running over. 
I know you people have been in church, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> but he's actually not talking about money. He says, judge not and you shall not be judged. Condemn not, you shall not be condemned. Forgive, you'll be forgiven. Give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over. It will be put into your bosom. For with the same measure you use, it will be measured back to you. So what's he talking about here? He's not talking about, he's talking about mercy, forgiveness. These are qualities and characteristics of God's nature. And when we sow those a seed, they come back to us. When we operate in the nature of God, there's reciprocity. It's coming back to you. It is coming back to you. But on the negative side, let me show you this. Because what I want to get the point of is the work is the work of your heart. Let me say it like this. Adam was in a garden. God created a garden. He put the man in it. Adam was in a garden. But through Christ, God put a garden in you. Adam was put in a garden, but God put a garden in you. And you can grow anything you need in your garden. You know, in uh, Genesis two fifteen, it says God planted a garden and he put Adam in the garden. And he said to tend it and to keep it. You know what that means? Guard it, cultivate it. There's your orders. That's how you do it. Guard it, guard your heart from bad seed and cultivate good seed. And you'll reap eternal life rather than corruption. It's conceived in the heart, good or bad. That's where it comes from. Look at James. This is powerful scriptures right here. Each one is tempted when he is drawn away by the devil. No. Each one is tempted when he's drawn away by his own desires and enticed. See, the cosmos, which pastors taught on a lot, is the world system. The devil uh, constructed a system in this world based on the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And your flesh is attracted to it. So when you see these things in the world, you're tempted and drawn away by your own desires. See, the system that Satan created, it, it tempts your, the desires, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. Not the devil. The flesh. Man, the devil is not your problem. The flesh is. For the new covenant believer, the devil is not your problem. The flesh is. I'm going to say that again. You know, Bob Yandian said this. He said, in many ways, the flesh, flesh is much harder to overcome than the devil. Because you can cast the devil out. But you can't cast out the flesh. You have to bring the flesh into subjection. You have to, bring, you have to rule over it. 
The territory that God has given you dominion over is your flesh. And if you can conquer your flesh, you can conquer anything in this world. And I'll say this, if you can't say no to your flesh, you can't say no to the devil. Ooh. Look at this. Then when desire has conceived, conceived where? In the heart. Listen, the battle, the contested battlefield for your actions is fought in your soul. It's in your mind. You, you, that battle is, of temptation is waged within you before you ever do anything on the outside. Mm. So if you can win the battle within, you can rule and reign in this life. If you, can, if you can plant the seeds of God's word into your heart, where what's within you is producing fruit through your life, you can overcome any temptation, any deception, anything the devil tries to bring your way. You can rule over it and you can keep him under your feet and you can experience everything God has given to you in Christ. Hmm. Man. When sin is full grown, it brings forth death, corruption. Let me end with this. Third John chapter 2. says, Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. And I like the uh, King James. It says, even as... Your soul prospers. So the degree of prosperity and health that we experience in our life is equal to the degree of, that our soul has prospered through the sowing of the seed of the word of God in our hearts. I don't know if you have fought against your flesh in the strength of your flesh and lost battle after battle like I had. <laughs> you cannot overcome the flesh with the flesh. But you can overcome the flesh with the spirit. And that requires the renewing of our mind. With the word of God. And I'll say this. Predominantly in regard to the spiritual realities of your union with Christ. The more identified you become with what God has declared about you in Christ, the more you will begin to produce the fruit of his nature and his character and his power. Mm. It is, Andrew Womack calls it, effortless change. The effort is the laboring in the word to discover the truth that is revealed therein. But it's effortless in that it's not you making it happen. The Christian life is not me living for God. I tried that. I failed miserably. <sighs> That's how I grew up. I thought... Christian life was me trying my hardest and doing my best to just live for God. And I found out that I was unable to do it. But then I discovered 
that in the new covenant, God comes to live in me. And as I begin to get revelation of who I am in Him and how He works through me, things I wrestled with for decades began to just fall off of my life. As I began to identify with the fact that I was a new creation in Christ Jesus, that I was justified in the sight of God, that I was the righteousness of God in Christ, that I was in Him and He was in me, the divine entanglement, that we are one spirit together. (laughs) That revelation just changes your identity. And as a man believes in his heart, so is he. Listen, as we, let's stand. Let me just say this. Let me just say this. Whatever you might be facing tonight. So you may be struggling with some kind of sickness or disease. You may be struggling with some kind of disorder, some kind of addiction, some kind of oppression. Your answer is the Word. Your answer is to identify with what Christ has already accomplished on your behalf. Just like when you preach the gospel and you declare that through believing on Jesus, we receive the forgiveness of sins. It's the same with everything. Why? By his stripes, you were healed. 1 Peter 2.24 Salvation is not just the forgiveness of sins. It is to be saved, to be healed, to be delivered, to be made whole. That means anything that is oppressing your life, That is something that came into the human experience through sin has already been taken care of through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And I'm here to tell you tonight that whatever you're facing, we're going to have ministers come on up here now. And whatever you're facing in your life, you can, through faith, partake of the divine nature of God tonight. And it is His nature and His life that drives out the works of the devil from your life. Mm, I've been sowing seed in your heart tonight. I don't know if you realize it, but that's what I've been doing. I got me a seed bag right here. Is uh, I mean, I, Mark loaded up a bunch of seeds for me in here. That's what all these words are. They're seeds. So I've just been carrying the seed bag around tonight, throwing it out. That's what Jesus said. The sower is sow the word. Some of it fall on the wayside. Some of it fall on rocky ground. Some of it fall on thorny ground. Some of it fall on good ground. Oh, do I have any good ground in the house tonight? I'm telling you because when the good ground, when the seed finds the good ground, Jesus said it'll grow and sprout up and bring forth fruit some 30, some 60, some 100 fold. A hundredfold increase. A hundredfold fruit in your life. Simply by you receiving that word in your heart. Embracing that word as your reality. And declaring the truth of it in your life. It will produce exactly the thing that you're looking for. Why every seed produces after its own kind. You need healing. You need to take a healing seed. Mm. There's a whole bunch of them in here. (laughs) Why? Every seed produces after his own kind. Man. 
plant the seed. So a lot of people are trying to get through prayer what only can come from the word. I remember Brother Hagin talking about that. He was praying to God about the problems people were having in the church. God told him, he said, many people are trying to get through prayer what you can only receive through the word. Would be just as crazy for a farmer to walk out to his plot of ground and pray that crops would grow and never plant a seed. Oh, man. Praying is watering seed. Meditating on the word is watering the seed that you've sown. Say, well, I don't know how to meditate. Here's how you meditate. Did you know the word for meditate is related to the word for worry? You can worry. I know you can worry. (laughs) I remember whenever I was studying that and I found that out. You know how you worry? Oh, well. What if this happens and what if this is going on? And blah, blah, blah. That's how you meditate on the word. But instead of in the negative, it's in the positive. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, I'm a new creation in Christ Jesus. Oh, yeah. By his stripes, I have been healed. Yeah. Oh, man. He's given me authority. I have been freed and delivered from the authority of darkness. <laughs> and you start worrying over the word of God. And then the Holy Spirit takes hold with you. And the Holy Spirit, every time you say what the Word says, He says, Yes! Yes, that's true. Not about somebody else. I'm talking about you. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He bears witness to the truth. The the Spirit of truth on the inside of you. If you take the seed of the Word of God and begin to say, By the stripes of Jesus, I am healed. Then He'll say, Yes! That's true. He's trying to convince you. Mm. Hallelujah. I could go on and on, but I'm not going to. Let me just have the ministers come forward. Jesse, Rebecca, those of you who are ministers here, I want you to come forward. Bob, Leela. Just to be here in case anybody wants to come at the end. I don't know. There's a large crowd here tonight. Maybe you're here. You've never received Jesus as the Lord of your life. He died for your sins. Jesus didn't die for all of us. He died for each of us. It's a personal revelation that causes you to be born again. And to receive, after you receive Jesus, the moment you receive Jesus, you qualify to receive the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in other tongues. If you've never done that, don't leave tonight. It's your inheritance. Come and make a claim on it. If you need... Healing in your body, deliverance, whatever it might be. It's yours in Christ. And the Bible says that if two of you on earth agree as touching anything, it shall be done. So I want to invite you to come forward as we close. I want to remind you. Thank you, brother. Our brother, uh, Bud Reed, went home to be with the Lord. So we are going to be celebrating his life Friday at 2 o'clock. We wanted to make that known to the family so that if you're able to be here, you can come in and join and uh, support and encourage the family. So I just wanted to remind you of that. Two o'clock Friday, you can be with us. You're, you're able to. We're not doing a meal. They got something else going on that. So just come and join us and celebrate his life. Don't leave without coming and seeing the ministers and be here also Sunday. Uh, it's going to be a powerful time in the Lord. You're dismissed in Jesus' name.